Welcome to Cureleaf, a medical marijuana dispensary. Whether you're a longtime patient or you're just getting acquainted with this incredible plant, Cureleaf of Pennsylvania is honored to guide you along your medical marijuana journey. Have questions? Google Cureleaf PA or stop by one of our 18 locations across the Commonwealth. This is the Blue White Breakdown. The premier podcast for all things Penn State football. Talk about culture. It's something that should show up in every aspect of your program. It's the Blue White Breakdown. Brought to you by Penn Live. Here are your hosts, Dustin Hawkinsmith and Johnny McGonigal. Welcome in. It's the Blue White Breakdown Michigan Week edition. That's Johnny McGonigal. I'm Dustin Hawkinsmith. Just looking at this matchup a little bit and some of the key things that have emerged in the second half of this week, Johnny. But I wanted to start with the matchup itself. You like a Penn State win? You know, it's it was kind of painful trying to figure this thing out a little bit because I do think it's going to be tight. I think they are teams with some comparable strengths. So whose strengths are a little bit stronger? And they're also, when it comes down to it, I know Penn State's schedule with that trip to Purdue and the trip to Auburn. I know it looked uh, really, really tough, but in, in the end, I mean, neither of these teams have really played a heavyweight yet. Um, so so this is an introduction for both of them. And there are some unknowns about how they'll both hold up in, in this matchup, but walk me through the Penn State victory formula that, that you saw. Yeah, Dustin, look, this is something that I've gone back and forth on all week. And, yeah, like like you mentioned, Penn State hasn't played a team like Michigan yet. And I don't think Michigan's played a team like Penn State yet because you look at Michigan's schedule, they're non-conference. They weren't tested at all. Colorado State, Hawaii, UConn. I mean, UConn of all teams. So those three teams in the non-conference. And then I just I just wasn't particularly impressed with how they uh, how they handled Maryland in the Big Ten opener. Iowa was Iowa. And then, you know, Indiana, they were tied 10-10 at halftime. And so – Again, they won all those games. They're an uber-talented team. Uh, you look at the you know baseline stats and the underlying numbers, everything tells you that Michigan defensively is one of the best defenses in the country from a run defense standpoint. Stuff rate, all this good stuff, all, all everything that goes into what a good defense has. They lost Aiden Hutchinson. They lost David Ajabo. They're still a really tough unit. Penn State's winning formula for me, and I think this is how it's going to shake out, is I don't think Blake Corum and this Michigan offensive line has faced, you know, uh, Chop Robinson, uh, a guy as talented as an Abdul Carter. And this front seven has been a question mark through the opening portion of the season, especially that Auburn game for Penn State, Penn State's front seven. And uh, I think they've proved themselves enough to the point where, you know, they're not a liability anymore. And so I think if Penn State's able to shut down that running game, relatively speaking, and, you know, make J.J. McCarthy, who has, he's had it pretty easy. Uh, through six games uh, so far, if they're able to, you know, force him into conflict and get him a little uncomfortable and not be throwing easy access throws all day, I think that's your formula: is is get the young quarterback flustered, and then your secondary, which has been the best in the country so far, creating disruption. Uh, it sounds really nice, right? It, it sounds really <laughs> nice, super easy. Uh, it won't be easy. It really won't. Uh, and I, you picked Michigan, right? And look, I totally understand. Like, I, you know, going back, I was, I've been going back and forth on this for a while. So I get people picking Michigan here too. I, I do feel like it has more, much more to do with Penn State's offense than it does Penn State's defense. And it, it really is fascinating, you know, the way that Penn State has been able to control opposing offenses by controlling what they are forced to call. 
You know, I think Penn State has been in that category so often where it's like, well, they gave us this, so we had to take it. That's what Penn State's doing. And, you know, the the great big variable in this is, okay, everybody that Penn State has faced has been forced to abandon the run game in some way or another. Michigan will be the biggest challenge, I think, to because they're never going to abandon the run game. You know, if there's one thing Jim Harbaugh has shown, it's that what what they're willing to stick to no matter where the game of football is headed here in the 21st century, he's, he's okay with it. So that'll be really interesting is can they, can they skew the numbers so J.J. McCarthy feels like he has to pass it? And then the big variable is, you know, this could be the coming out party for J.J. McCarthy. This could be, hey, you're still learning on the job, rookie. I kind of think it might be more towards the latter than the former, but I just, I just feel like, you know, Penn State's offense has been sputtering a bit. And, you know, it's not the, t- the the place or the defense to be sputtering is going into Ann Arbor against these guys. So I don't know whether it's going to be a mistake or two or I just felt like Michigan's defense was going to be too much for Penn State to overcome. And, you know, I picked the 21-17 or 20-17, to 17, I think. It was 21-17 last year, so I shaved the point off. But one thing I love, you know, I do like Penn State covering the, depending on where you look, six and a half to seven and a half. And the 51 over under seems like an awful lot of points to me. I, I don't recall what exactly you picked, but that seems like a lot of points. Yeah, I had a Penn State 26 to 20. And I, I actually am going to disagree a little bit on because I, I think that either Penn State wins or they lose by like 10, 14, 17. One of those deals where it's like if they're going to lose, it's because J.J. McCarthy is really on and Blake Corum is, you know, hitting those, you know, holes, whether it's the A, B, or C gap, that he's getting through the first level into the second level and causing some damage. And so I think that if Penn State ends up losing, it's it's gonna be not by a massive margin, but a twenty-eight to fourteen or something like that. And that's not a cover, Dustin. So I think I think that if, if you're if you're leaning Penn State, and again, you know, this is this is just what I this is just my gut. Before the season, we we all picked uh, you know record predictions for Penn State and you know the the, the games that we thought that they would lose. And before the season, I said, look, they'll go nine and three. They'll lose to Auburn, Michigan, and Ohio State. And that's why I picked Auburn against Penn State because I was just sticking with that, even though my gut was telling me Penn State's going to win this game. I'm really going with my gut here. I'm not ignoring it this time around. And uh, look, I would not be surprised if Michigan goes out there. JJ McCarthy looks good, and and they're able to really, you know, we, we've seen this story happen at the Big House specifically uh, with Penn State. I mean, shoot, when they won uh, the Big Ten title back in 2016, they lost 49 to 10 there. So uh, I don't think it's going to be anything like that. I could see Michigan winning this game. I don't know. I, I'm going to go with my gut, and I'm going to say that JJ McCarthy, you've got a great future ahead of you. It's been a nice start. Uh, but you have not faced a Joey Porter. You've not faced Kalen King, Jair Brown, the Prowler package. If they can get them off schedule early on first and second down uh, and force J.J. McCarthy to make throws in third and long, uh, I think they'll have a couple of opportunities to get some turnovers and turn the tide. Defensively, I do think the formula is much the same. You know, I think you give yourself a chance for Chop Robinson, Adisa Isaac, for those guys to win one-on-one matchups. But let's just say Michigan's offensive line is as advertised and that that going gets a little tougher. I mean, I still think you're going to see Johnny Dixon screaming off the edge, Jalen Reed screaming off the edge, Jair Brown getting involved, you know, rushing inside, rushing outside. I, I think that that's been a really fascinating part of this is that there's no one size fits all on how Manny Diaz is going to drum up pressure. Now, the interesting thing really will be, you know, I, I feel like J.J. McCarthy is probably the best running quarterback they've seen so far. 
you know, the the kid from Auburn, I don't really include him in that group because I don't think he's really physically capable of throwing a football at this point. But I, I do feel like controlled pressure uh, will be will be an important thing to not open up the floodgates because if you are going to play man, if you are going to rely on those, you know, cornerbacks to stick one-on-one, it does theoretically open up a lot down the field if you if you're going to clear out and, and let JJ McCarthy's do do his thing but the formula I think pressure from everywhere dictate that Michigan has to throw it um, as best you can and then hold up in coverage and 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 really you know the combination of things just making Michigan settle for quick passes down the field and runs where they're going to have to string together 12, 15 play drives to, to score touchdowns. I mean, if you can keep doing what they're doing in terms of eliminating big plays, then I think absolutely everything's on the table here and it will kind of kind of come down to uh, the Penn State offense, which, you know, by week, maybe some time to fix some things, including hanging on to the ball, which I think we'll touch on a little bit, a little bit later. But I think, uh, I think the defense can really have a good day against this Michigan team. I don't, I don't have any questions about that one. Yeah, same here. And the one thing, though, that James Franklin has really harped on all week in his Tuesday press conference and his Wednesday post-practice availability with us uh, has been Michigan's ability to, to shorten you know, second and third down through first down. They, they, they are one of the best teams in the country uh, when it comes to first down and, and picking up yardage and making it a second and four as opposed to a second and 11 or a third and two instead of a you know, third and eight. Uh, and that really comes down to the offensive line that comes down to Blake Corum that comes to their uh, their commitment to running the football. That really sets up to J.J. McCarthy. And from what I've seen on film, I mean, like you mentioned his mobility and his, you know, his ability to extend plays, get outside the pocket. They run a lot of play action pass and get him on the move. You know, try to open up some easy throws, easy crossers, uh, especially, you know, for, for a guy like that who has such a high completion percentage. Like they're doing a really good job of scheming him up. You know, he's a talented dude. No doubt about it, uh, as James Franklin would say. No doubt about it. But uh, you know, he's also you know he's also had thrown to open guys, and, and you know Michigan's done a really good job of that. And so that's up to Manny Diaz to to come up with a solution to that. And on the flip side too, I feel like we've talked more defense and offense. But yeah, I, you know, this is a game for Sean Clifford that I think he kind of needs. You know, or at least he certainly wants for his legacy. We talk about uh, this being the last gauntlet uh, for him. Uh, this three-game stretch: Michigan, Minnesota, Ohio State. And if if he goes two and one in this stretch, I think Penn State fans are feeling pretty good about where they're at uh, with their six-year quarterback and where they're headed for the rest of the season. Uh, if they're one and two, or God forbid, zero oh and three, uh, you're going to have some serious questions about what this Penn State season, uh, what what you want to get out of it, uh, and and really the lightning rod for that conversation is Sean Clifford, and so. Uh, if he comes out here and you know plays mistake-free football like he has in the past against Michigan, I think they'll have a, a good shot of coming away with a win on the road. Uh, if he's making first-half mistakes, couple interceptions, and you're down double digits at halftime, uh, you have to look in the mirror and, and see what you kind of want to do. Certainly an 0-3 stretch, but it'll be interesting to see, you know, never really feeding into what's it going to take to get Drew Aller in the, in, in the game. Uh, and I, I think an 0-3 stretch maybe accelerates – um, how quickly you're looking at saying, hey, let's let's ride with the young kid here. But I think that's a long way off, if ever. I agree. I agree for the record. <laughs> I, I think uh I think um, you know, the the Trump car that, that Penn State kind of has now that it didn't before is that, you know, your running backs are able to grind grind out some chunk plays. And I think even if things aren't blocked perfectly against a good defensive front, 
you know, singleton speed, like you, you know, it, it, it gives you a fighting chance all the time. And it's been a while since Penn state had that element against Michigan. I think they're, they're, they're seeking balance and trying to use those guys. They might really try to play Michigan's game and win Michigan's way by, by leaning on these running backs. And I think they are capable of doing it. Yeah, absolutely. And the one thing that I took away from James Franklin's Wednesday post-practice availability uh, was him talking about his true freshman running backs and really the freshmen as a whole. And he's saying that, look, they're not freshmen anymore. Uh, they're, they're five games into their collegiate careers, and a lot of them are contributing at a high level, uh, specifically Nick Singleton and Katron Allen. These are guys who have combined now for over 700 yards rushing. They've played at Auburn on national TV, on CBS, and and, you know, both of them scored two touchdowns down there at Jordan Harris Stadium. Nick Singleton had a couple of 50 uh, yard runs. And so these are guys who are already coming in. They're young, but they're no longer inexperienced. I mean, relatively speaking, relative to Sean Clifford, that everyone's inexperienced on this offense. But Nick Singleton and Katron Allen, they're basically co starters at this point with, with Kevon Lee getting in there as well. And so, you know, in terms of the mistakes, in terms of the fumbles last week, that's up to them to correct that. Uh, and if they can, if, if they have to keep the ball, they have to hold on the ball. You cannot be just handing the Wolverines, you know, two or three fumbles on Saturday. You're going to lose if that happens. Uh, but if they can keep the ball and do something with it, I think there, there's going to be opportunities for Nick Singleton in particular, uh, hitting the outside, bouncing a couple because the interior of Michigan's uh, defensive line is kind of where its strength is. And so, uh, I think if you, you give him an opportunity to maybe cut one uh, behind a Brenton Strange block and, and hit a crease and go 50-60, you know, that takes the life out of a crowd a little bit and uh, sets your offense up for success. So I think there, there will be opportunities for that on Saturday, and it will be up to the freshmen to uh, take advantage of them. I just saw um, making its rounds again the long Saquon Barkley run in the first quarter. Whatever year, I don't even know what season that was, 17 maybe it was. Um where he had a huge cutback lane, huge. And you saw his speed kind of take over from there. I think that would be part of a winning, winning formula too, is creating a big play like that pretty early in the game. Was that the, uh, was that the RPO that Saquon and Trace switched? That was, that was, that was a hell of a play call. Was that was Moorhead or Ronnie at that point? I guess it would have been Moorhead. If it was, if it was 17, it was still Moorhead. And I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure it was, yeah. Joe Moorhead, just dialing things up. Yeah, well, I mean, that's that's Mike Yersich's job now. You know, if, we, if we're sitting here a week from today saying that's a hell of a play call, then probably Penn State won this game. And they, they're gonna, I think they're going to need something like that to happen. This is the Blue White Breakdown. Welcome to Cureleaf, a medical marijuana dispensary. Everyone's journey is different, and we are honored to guide you to the best relationship with this incredible plant. Have questions? Google Cureleaf PA or stop by one of our 18 locations across the Commonwealth. Speaking of, we talked a lot about defense. We heard from Manny Diaz here on, on Thursday. Uh, what are some of the highlights as far as what he had to say leading up to, you know, I would say his biggest challenge as coordinator here at Penn State? Yeah, one thing that I asked him, and I was just curious more than anything, and uh, was more about Jair Brown, uh, because we've, we've heard so much about Joey Porter and Kalen King and the secondary as a whole and what they've been able to do Jair Brown has played such a critical role this season, uh, both as a safety and a linebacker in that Prowler package on third and long and the responsibility that he took. And uh, Manny Diaz said that he's he's only been around you – know, that uh, players like Jair Brown only come around once every five years or so. Uh, if you're a defensive coach, a guy that 
you know, not only plays with the intensity that he plays, but carries himself the way you want a leader to carry himself in the locker room, on the field, on the practice field. And so uh, Jair Brown is one of those guys that you keep an eye on him throughout the day because he is going to have his hands full, both in the passing game, in the run game, especially in the play action. You know, it's up to him to really direct the defense or at least be a part of that conversation and making sure everyone is set and ready on the road. And so, uh, yeah, Manny Diaz, you know, extolling the virtues a bit of his, you know, his senior safety, a guy who has played you know, really well so far this season. Uh, and then the other thing, too, something that we kind of touched on already is that, you know, Manny knows that you know, making Michigan's offense one dimensional is it's a huge task. Uh, but it's something that's so important because, you know, he, he was talking about Blake Corum and how well he's been playing and also J.J. McCarthy and that, you know, even if you make Michigan one dimensional, they're still hard to stop. If you let them get rolling and have both phases working, then, you know, good luck, essentially. So he knows a challenge. He knows the task ahead. Uh, but he's done a really good job so far. I mean, he has earned his money uh, through five games so far as Penn State's defensive coordinator coming over from Miami. You know, they rank near the top in the country and, you know, rushing yards allowed per game, you know, pass breakups uh, first in the country. Uh, they're just doing a good job overall red zone conversion rate uh, in terms of points allowed in the red zone. So, you know, it, it, he's really going to earn his money, though, this Saturday against Minnesota and Kirk Siraka the following week. Uh, and then when Ohio State comes to Beaver Stadium. So these next three weeks, they're big for everyone in Penn State's programs, from the from the five stars to the walk-ons. Everyone, you know, wants to wants to get through this stretch as well as possible. Manny Diaz is uh, – he definitely has his work cut out for him. And I think if you look at the challenge here to, in terms of run versus pass, obviously difficult this weekend, but then you have Tanner Morgan and Mo Ibrahim uh, against Minnesota. You've got CJ Stroud and, and their, their backs against Ohio State. I mean, the, the, the double threat isn't going away after this weekend. So it'll be intriguing to see how they go about trying to dictate what the other offense is doing when you're getting into the, this type of, of matchup against Michigan. I wanted to ask you this, and I, I don't really have my answer yet either, so I think we're just going to talk it out. But let's just say the James Franklin versus Jim Harbaugh, it's not a new conversation, but I don't know whether to say, you know, one, on one hand you could ask, if you're starting a program today, which of these guys would you want to build it? That includes everything, winning, recruiting, program development, fundraising, uh, improving facilities, all the different things that are. Or I could ask, you know, if you're a four-star linebacker and you're down to Penn State and Michigan, uh, how you would go about choosing between these two schools. I think it's a similar conversation either way. But let's just call you a linebacker, Johnny. You're, you're, you're getting ready to make the biggest decision of your life, and it comes down to the head coach of both of these programs. How are you making that decision? Well, Dustin, I played guard in, in high school. I wasn't good enough uh, to be considering Michigan or Penn State. I actually stopped after my sophomore year. I was like, you know, too small to play guard. I shouldn't say that. Too small to play tackle and not uh, not good, just not good enough. But So I would never be in that conversation. Uh, but if I was, look, I, it's tough. It really is because you look at just you know the track record on the field and what they've been able to accomplish at their respective programs, their winning percentages are – pretty similar. I mean, you're talking about decimal points uh, difference. Both coaches obviously winning a Big Ten title. Uh, James, or, uh, James Franklin back in 2016, Jim Harbaugh last year. Both prestigious programs. Uh, both, you know, the Goliath is Ohio State that both have to you know conquer. If, if I were to choose a job, I think I would choose Penn State over Michigan uh, just because you're not reliant on beating Ohio State every year in terms of the 
you know, whether your, your season is deemed a success uh, for Michigan, it is, it's, it's Ohio state, everything. Um, but in terms of, I really think it's a coin flip. And I think that's why you see both these, both these coaches. I know that's not the answer I'm sure you want, but uh, I feel like it really is a coin flip from, from top to bottom in terms of what both of them bring their programs. That's why they've been competing for recruits so often, you know, really a lot of guys choosing between Penn state, you know, or Michigan making those decisions. Uh, and so, and I think it'll continue to go for a while, as long as Jim Harbaugh wants to stay in college, I think Michigan will have them. I know there was conversations leading into last season uh, around that. He, you know, went out, won the big 10 title, made a college football playoff. I feel like, you know, he, he's, he can stick around for as long as he really wants. And James Franklin just signing that long, long extension as well. So uh, it's razor thin. It just depends on what kind of style you want uh, leading your college football program. I'll put it this way. If I'm a parent of a four-star linebacker, and and let's just set the record straight, you are a five-star human being, even if you are a zero-star football recruit. um, That's not what we're talking about here. So I appreciate that. If I'm a parent and I'm looking to connect with a coach, not that that's the only part of the process, but I would much rather see James Franklin walking through my door than Jim Harbaugh. Like, at least James Franklin will speak like a human language and Jim Harbaugh, you know, a robot alien from outer space. You know, I just feel like there, I wouldn't have a whole lot in common with Jim Harbaugh. Harbaugh's a creature. Like, he's he's just a little, he's just different. And, and not like the kids are saying these days, oh, he's built different. No, he's just different, different. So... Yeah, like in terms of a parent, I agree with you. Franklin, you know, seven days a week. And so what's interesting is that this is still a discussion, even though, you know, arguably there hasn't been a bigger disparity between these two programs, looking at a very, very short-term basis. Michigan, 12-2, and two, Big Ten champs, college football playoff last year, Penn State 7-6, and 4-5 and five the year before. You know, Michigan was 2-4 and four during the pandemic year, too, so I think you can kind of throw those results out. You know, the fact that James Franklin is in the conversation right now probably still says something about who he is and the job that he does. I think um, Jim Harbaugh is much more entrenched in a certain philosophy, and I don't know if that philosophy can be carried over to 10 years from now. I don't, you know, like, you know, Jim Harbaugh is a threat to bolt to the NFL, and he plays that threat up a little bit. Um, Jim Harbaugh has more pressure because of that Ohio State you know, the importance of that Ohio State game and winning that game and how, and how hard that is to do. James Franklin is a, is a threat because every time there's a chance to leverage his, his desirability, he, he uses it. So you both, you know, there's a little uncertainty for both. Um, I think if you're sending one coach out on the road to meet with, you know, donors and stuff, I think I'd rather that be James Franklin. Jim Harbaugh has a little bit more mystique and has had more, visible success in the coaching ranks, including his time in the NFL. So there's some of that. So I think it really truly is a coin flip. And I think if I were picking one coach to to lead the program, I think just because James Franklin does so many things well outside of, of game day coaching, which is probably good because his game day coaching has been, I think, arguably the most critical thing um, that, that people have had to say about him. So I, I really feel like James Franklin will be the guy. I don't think at this point in time he's a threat to leave for the NFL or anything. So I feel like a program will be on more balanced, stable ground uh, with him. But it's tough, man. I mean, you know, Harbaugh has a better record at Michigan than Franklin has at Penn State, but it's close. And it's impacted by the way the last two years have gone at Penn State. 
but they, you know, they're, I think they've lost five straight bowl games. So that's got to count for something too. It's weird because, you know, you can say like right now, who would I rather play for? And you think, all right, well, Harbaugh could go to the NFL at any moment. I mean, if he up and left in the middle of the season, you know, you just never know with, with a guy uh, as unique and as quirky as, uh, as Jim Harbaugh. Uh, but at the same time, too, look, Penn State's 5-0 and right now, and they have a really important stretch in front of them, and we don't know how that's going to turn out. But we do know that in the last two years, the COVID season included in that, of course, but 11-11 you know, over the last two years for Penn State. And so you know, Michigan has had more recent success uh, with that Big Ten title last year. And uh, so if you're a parent and you're you're thinking, like, you know, in terms of capitalizing on that success, you know, I would understand that as well. So, yeah, I think it's a true coin flip. It's It's – you know, what what kind of style do you like? Uh, you know, what kind of I don't know. Do, do you like Ann Arbor more than State College? Like, I think I think those those are the things that like those are the little things. You know, do you uh, do you want your own dorm uh, at Penn State? Um, you know, that's not really a thing right now. So, really, like when it comes down to these two programs and and programs on this level uh, as a whole, it comes down to little stuff and really just connecting uh, with not only the head coaches but the assistant coaches too. I think James Franklin. We know we know the assistants at Penn State more than we do uh, Michigan, but I think he's surrounded himself with a really good staff and has continued to do that uh, over his tenure. And that's something that you know, from a recruiting standpoint uh, as well as an on-field standpoint, he's done a pretty good job. The offensive line has been an issue, you know, up and down year after year, uh, pretty much. But at the other positions, it's it's been pretty good. Speaking of positions, if you're a quarterback, uh, I don't know if Michigan's my first choice of these two. If you're a running back, I'd probably go to, I mean, Penn State has had its share of success too. But if I'm an offensive lineman, I'd probably go to Michigan. If I'm a, if I'm a wide receiver, I'd probably go to Penn State. Uh, running back, I think, is probably favors Michigan, but not by a whole lot. Um, I think Penn State has just kind of fallen a bit out of, had, had fall, I'll use past tense, had fallen out of rhythm at that position until Singleton and Allen came along. You know, linebacker. I, I don't know. It's it's it really is a good conversation to to have, and it's just hard for me to look beyond not being able to relate to Harbaugh at all. And you think back to like when when he slept over at the kicker's house, like what on earth at like nine thirty p.m. on a Friday night? They're both in their jammies. They're both tucked in. Like what are they talking about or doing at that point in time? We could have ended this conversation like ten minutes ago. If one of us just brought that up like earlier, <laughs> yeah. like this dude, this dude, like, do you, you really want this as a, as a parent? Are you, you cool with this? Uh, yeah, I'm, I wouldn't be. It's weird, but like, it's also a huge amount of FaceTime with a head coach. So like, I get it in that respect and, and, and vice versa for it to be a kicker. It's wild that, that a kicker got that, got that treatment, the sleepover treatment. All right. So I don't think we really arrived at anything meaningful here other than just to put it in really, really long-winded terms that it's, it's close. It's too close to call. The debate goes on. <laughs> yeah. One other thing I wanted to touch on, and I think this is pretty cool, is, is seeing Zariah Fisher back out there in the practice field. I will, I'll give you the, fi- the final word on this, uh, on this episode. Just uh, seeing him at the very least uh, being on a really good course, it seems, to get back on the field in 2023. Yeah, Al Equipa Native is, uh, is back on the practice field. Uh, we saw him uh, doing some work and, you know, they weren't in full pads, uh, you know, on, uh, on Wednesday. Uh, so, uh, and, and of course we don't see all of practice. It was only 15 minutes, but just seeing him out there, uh, you know, after suffering, uh, you know, what was reported to be a season ending uh, knee injury back in April. Uh, and James Franklin said that nothing has changed 
on that front in terms of his availability. We're not going to see him this weekend uh, at the big house, but it was good to see him on the practice field. And Franklin acknowledged that, uh, you know, he, he quote unquote reached the next threshold, uh, essentially allowing him to get it back out on the practice field and, and be around his teammates. And, uh, you know, for a guy who you know can be a, a rotational piece, a piece of this pass rush uh, in 2023, you want to continue to see that progress, right? You want to continue to see him, you know, practicing and playing well, um, but it's a good sign for Zariah, you know, to, to get him back out there and you know, seemingly so soon too. You know, April isn't that far. I, I've never had, I've never torn an ACL or had a knee injury or anything like that, so I wouldn't know. And I know every uh, recovery process is different, but it's just it's good to see him out there and uh, and and good for the Penn State's uh, twenty twenty three prospects as well. Iron Man Johnny McGonagall, the guard who never misses a snap, never tore his ACL. Best ability is availability, Dustin. So the 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 only thing that could get you off the playing field was recognition that you weren't good enough to be on the playing field in the first place. That's the only thing. Other than that, you're kicking and screaming, being dragged off. Madden awareness rating one hundred. <laughs> Everything else seven <laughs> seven 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 one hundred seven 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 seven. Uh, call the tip line that they're all advertising. If if you have any complaints about Johnny's player rating. I, just to present the the flip side of that, I think it's interesting. The 15 minute open practice window, you know what you want media to see. I think James Franklin probably said, "Zariah, go out there and do your thing. We'll create a little bit of positivity here and sh- kind of show where you're at." When he could have, if if it were something that were in question or he didn't, w- he wanted to, you know, kind of play his cards tight or whatever, he just wouldn't have had Zariah out there in the 15 minute window. Uh, but he was out there and we're talking about it. So mission accomplished, I guess. Yeah. And then the other thing too, there is uh, in terms of player availability and who was at practice. Uh, one, one guy we didn't mention was Keandre Lambert Smith, uh, who left the first quarter of the Northwestern game. Uh, we saw his right foot was in a walking boot after that game, walking through the Beaver stadium tunnel. Uh, James Franklin said on Tuesday, that he was hopeful that Keandre would play after earlier in the press conference saying, Keandre Lambert-Smith, who's coming back, and that was followed up. And he said, you yeah, know, it's too, too early in the week. We'll see. Uh, he was at practice on uh, on Wednesday, and he was running routes and everything. But, again, not full speed. We didn't see that. We didn't see any tackling, anything, you know, any you know, extreme you know, one-on-ones or, you know, red zone work or anything like that. So in terms of what we've seen, knowledge is limited. And so we'll see if Keandre is able to, you know, suit it up on Saturday against Michigan. You know, certainly Penn State would love to have him in his – uh, ability to catch the ball and, and take it 30 yards like he did against Purdue. So we'll see. I think that skill of his does translate even against a good defense. And it's funny, James Franklin had to catch himself like, oh man, I just said something meaningful about it, about an injury. I got to muddy the waters a little bit before they take this mic away. Exactly. Exactly. You can't give away too much information, especially Michigan week. Uh, everybody's got to prepare for it. It would be nice. I mean, the kid's got nine catches so far. It's a little lighter than what I expected. It'd be good for him and for the team if he's able to kind of get back in there, make a play happen. He's capable of doing it. We'll see what happens uh, this weekend, and we'll be back on the Blue White Breakdown next week. We are pretty much daily at this point uh, through Penn Live. You can check it out everywhere podcasts are. Check out everything else we do at PennLive.com slash Penn State Football. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time here on the Blue White Breakdown. This has been the Blue White Breakdown, brought to you by Penn Live.